Hello. Can you hear me? Yep. Sounds great. How are you? I'm hanging in there, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel um, like uh, many yeah. people are feeling similarly. Yeah. <laughs> um, specifically, if I come off as tired, it's probably because of this, this past week. I, I woke six days straight. You work? Oh, you worked six days straight. Yeah. Um. Technically, I didn't have to. I normally just work five days, but I chose to come in for overtime on Saturday. And my job, where I'm at, is honestly can be physically demanding at times. Uh, so that's why I, I may come off as not really having much energy today. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Six days is a lot of days to work in a row, especially for a physical job. Yeah. Um, when I work, when I worked at Tropical Smoothie, um, I remember. I was pretty tired after those shifts, because um, I was just moving around all day. So, yeah, it can be a lot. Indeed. You know, I, I I remember. You know, I realized that I haven't ever really asked you about that that time in your in high school when you were working at that place. Your I guess your first job. And do you have any funny? Do you have any funny stories from that time that you you like to share just to keep things off on a on a lighter note? <laughs> oh, I have so many. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually really glad you asked this question because there are some pretty funny stories. Um, well, so it's interesting. I actually did that in the beginning of college. So I, I didn't do Tropical Smoothie in high school. Um, and it was actually my second job. My first job ever was as a data entry operator for Nellis Cab uh, Company here in Las Vegas. I ended up getting that job because I knew a friend of a friend and uh, I did some work with them for the company, helping out with their inventory um, in the summer, kind of as an odd job. And they wanted to hire someone part-time to do some data entry stuff, you know? And so they recommended me because I was looking for a job. Um, and that was like at the end of my junior year of high school. So for my senior year, I worked part-time doing that. And then right after high school ended, I started at Tropical Smoothie. But no, Tropical Smoothie, the thing about that job is it, it, my, it basically had every stereotype of why it sucks to work in fast food. <laughs> like literally everyone. Like um, management would never can, schedule can get... enough employees. Oh, you can, can, I... you can guess. I'm... Yeah, okay. <laughs> you, 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 um, obviously you didn't have this word back then, but I'm guessing now you would say that you had to deal with a lot of Karens. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there were more than a few. Although I was lucky, I didn't have to do it as much as my coworkers did. Because when I worked at Tropical Smoothie, I was a delivery driver. Um, the problem was, nobody knows that Tropical Smoothie does delivery. Because um, they just didn't advertise it. I don't know why, but you know, they just assumed people would know. Nobody knew. And so most of my shifts, I would get... I worked 10-hour shifts when I worked there. And um, almost all of my shifts, like my average amount of deliveries per shift would be like one to two. <laughs> Some days I'd get three or four, but like the most I'd ever gotten one day was five. <laughs> so most of my job was working as a store employee because when I wasn't uh, making deliveries, I was just another employee in the store making food and smoothies and cleaning. They mostly had me do dishes because I was really good at doing the dishes and anytime I was working, the store was clean. So that was something I prided myself on because that store was a mess um, because it was like one of the busiest locations in the city 
and we never had enough employees. And we kept constantly telling her manager she needed to hire more people. And she just, I don't know what it was. She just was really bad at it. She just, either she didn't care or she just was having really bad luck at hiring people and keeping them. Um, Did it seem like there was high turnover? Oh yeah. Um, in the time, so I worked at Tropical Smoothie for a year and two months before I got another job. Uh, in the year and two months that I worked there, I was the first delivery driver they hired for their new delivery service. Okay. And by the time I left, I outlasted 10 other delivery drivers. <laughs> so like 10 other delivery drivers in addition to me had been hired and either quit or fired or got fired before I left. <laughs> 10 in a year. <laughs> yeah. That's literally, it was almost one per month. Yeah, <laughs> I know it was, it was bad, and there were I, honestly some of the things. The delivery service was terrible. So the way the service worked was, I basically covered all of Summerlin, and a little bit of North Las Vegas, and a little bit of East Las Vegas, which made no sense geographically speaking, um, because the distances were way too far apart for that to be practical. So like, I remember one particular day, this is honestly one of the like most frustrating days like my entire time there, where I got four deliveries and they all happened to come through at the same time. So like, like four people called within two to three minutes of each other each requesting a delivery. One person was in North Las Vegas, another person, another two of them were in Summerlin, and then the third one was in East Las Vegas. And the last one, last person was in North Las Vegas and I basically called my dispatcher and I said hey just so you know I can like do all these deliveries but you might want to call the North Las Vegas person and tell them they're gonna have to wait two and a half hours for their smoothie because that's about how long it's gonna take me to get there (laughs) you know and just like ask them if they still want their delivery and so like my dispatcher calls them back and then she calls me back and she says yeah they still want their delivery and I was like oh my gosh all right all right whatever so I go and I do it And the way the system worked was you get a text message that tells you the store to go to and then the address to deliver the food to. So like, for example, there was a store in North Las Vegas. I got a text message to drive to that store, pick up the food there, and then deliver it to the person's address. And it would be whatever store was closest to that person's address. So, I drove all the way down. I pick up their order in North Las Vegas two and a half hours later, and all their order is is one smoothie. That's it. A single (laughs) smoothie. Here's the best part. Here's the best part. Okay. The house, the house that I was delivering to, I kid you not, is literally across the street. (laughs) Like, like, and, and by across the street, I mean I can literally see the house from the store looked out their window and thought oh wouldn't it be good to get delivery instead of walking across the street and buying it I'm going to pay four extra dollars for the delivery fee to have someone deliver it to me after two and a half hours I was like you have got to be kidding me and then the icing on the cake I go and I make this delivery and they don't tip that is that is some serious <laughs> I was just like 
I was so done. I was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. Day. Did you want to yell at them? Did you, did, you, did you just want to call them like, on like all the, like how far you had to drive to get there and like all the BS? Like, did you just really want to? Just like, oh, I did. I did. I, I. It took a lot of effort not to say anything, you know. But you know, like any, any first. I believe in customer service, you know. So I just smiled and said, you know, hope you enjoy your smoothie. Have a good day. <laughs> Yeah. Did you, but inside, I was like, <laughs> did, you, did you did you get in your car and bang your head against the wheel for like thirty minutes? I did my own version of that. I see. I sometimes I'll scream in the car. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's my version. I don't ever bang my head, but I'll scream. I'll just be like, <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah, that was a great story. There was another one. Um, that was really tragic where it was this large catering order so Bishop Gorman do you remember Bishop Gorman High School? yeah I recall yeah so their football team was having a practice and they have a huge team uh, like it's massive and so they ordered like 200 smoothies for like (laughs) the whole team and like all the coaches and all the players and like all these other people it was like this massive group of people i might be exaggerating when i say 200 but it was a lot like more than you would even think would be needed but you know and so what ended up happening was there was a miscommunication so they sent the catering order to they made the order like a week before the practice like the day of the delivery right so like they called our, like one of our store locations and says, hey, can we get a catering order for a week from today at this time, right? Um, and basically the order went to the store that was closest to them, but there was a miscommunication because the person who was working that day who was taking the order didn't communicate to the person who was going to be working the day the delivery was actually supposed to come through, that the delivery needed to be made that day. Right? So, the order was supposed to be delivered at 2 o'clock. Right? At 2.05, the customer calls and says, hey, it's 2.05. It was supposed to be here at 2. Where are my smoothies? And then my dispatcher realizes that there was this whole order that was never communicated to her by the other dispatcher who was not working that day. And so none of it is made. Like, it's 200 smoothies. And nobody has started making it. Nobody has any idea that it was supposed to be delivered at 2 o'clock. Because the person who was working when the order was taken was not working that day and didn't communicate it to those people that it needed to be done then. I don't know why they didn't, but for whatever reason, that's just how it ended up happening. So then my dispatcher texts me, First, she calls the store frantically, and they send like three or four people over to start making these smoothies. And then she calls me and says, I need to go and make this delivery. Well, I have a small like Toyota Camry at this point. (laughs) By the time the coolers are filled up with the 200 smoothies, there literally isn't enough space to fit the coolers in my car to make this delivery. Right? And I'm using my own car for for this job. And so I go to 
the practice, and I could. It took me forever to find like the right area that they wanted me to go to, which was already pissing them off because their order was at this point like more than an hour late. And so these customers are just furious. And you know, eventually I I show up, and these two very Karen-like women get in my face and start screaming at me <laughs> about how this is such a disgrace, how this is more than an hour late, how this is so unacceptable. And I have literally nothing to do with this. And not only that, I also have to tell these women that I have to go back to bring the rest of it because I couldn't fit it in my car. <laughs> you can imagine how happy they were to hear that. Yeah. And then, I think this has been really cringeworthy. And then the worst part was, and I, I am, was so disappointed in myself, I forgot the straws. <laughs> so, but, oh, man. But you know, these football players didn't care at all. They just took the lids off and just started drinking straight from the, from the cup. So, I mean... <laughs> yeah, that's one. But they also weren't really happy about that either. Yeah, it was honestly probably one of the worst shifts in my life. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. It was so confusing too because my dispatcher, you know, just gets a phone call with this very irate person who was yelling at her about not having her catering order. And my dispatcher has no idea what she's talking about either, because this wasn't communicated to her. And honestly, it was like, one of the, it was just mostly, honestly, my main emotion was just confusion. Like, what the hell is going on here? Because <laughs> it took us a while to figure out what had happened. Eventually, we put it together and realized that the other dispatcher, because I think my dispatcher called her, and then she was like, oh shit. Like when she realized she forgot to tell. <laughs> and I mean, did she get fired? Like the one who forgot to tell? I don't know, to be honest. I honestly don't know. Because the thing is, my dispatchers all worked at different stores. Um, or they all, well, not at different stores, but they worked at a different store than me. So I never saw them. I just interacted with them over text message. And it was kind of a weird system because each of them used their own phones. Right? Like, they didn't have a company phone. They just each used their own cell phones. And so by the time I was done, and there was a lot of turnover with this job, like, in all the positions, by the time I was done, I literally had 25 different contacts in my phone labeled by different dispatchers. Which <laughs> was kind of a crazy system, right? I'm like, sure. yeah. You know, you think it would just be one phone. And so when I, the, the, the icing on the cake is when I handed in my two weeks notice um, because I'd gotten another job to leave the company that very same week they had decided to disband the delivery service <laughs> which I'm like how is that not like like a sign from the gods like it, like you know what I mean yeah. like <laughs> it's yeah. one of those moments where you're just like that just worked out too well um, yeah, I feel you. But it, I mean, it wouldn't have impacted me too much because I would have just stayed on as a store employee. Um, it just meant I wouldn't be doing deliveries. Um, 
the perk of that job was that I could leave to make deliveries. But the thing is, nobody ever checked to see if I was actually doing deliveries. And I gotta be honest, there were some times I just left to go sit in my car because I was really tired. <laughs> I mean, I can't blame you. I guess they were, it's, they were pretty dependent on the honor system, I guess. Yeah, I was surprised that they were. I mean, for like the longest time, I was like very faithful and obedient to it. You know, probably at least for the first six months that I worked there, I didn't do any of that. But then there came like a point six months in where I just like started to care less. Um, I think it was just because I was so fed up with the job more than anything. I, it's really funny because it's one of those things where I can remember being miserable most of the time I was working there. But when I look back at it, I look back at it with mostly fond memories. Yeah, that's the power of nostalgia, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's one of those really weird ones, you know? I don't have that for every other period of my life. Um, I mean, sometimes I do, but not always. Yeah, that, maybe. that one in particular just really resonates with me. Yeah, maybe it's just because you see it as a period of growth where you just you feel like it kind of helped you mature by having to put up with all that BS just because it makes it so that you learn to get used to that stuff when you have to deal with it later. So maybe it's just because you see it as a period of growth for yourself that helps you see yeah. it. I definitely think that was that was a part of it. Like I do think I matured a little bit while I was working there. I think the other thing was that... Um, when I was doing deliveries, that was the period when I got into podcasts. You know, that, yeah. I guess that was right, right, right before, probably two years before the emergence of what is it? What do they call it? The IDW. You know, yeah. and so I, that was right when I started to get into podcasts like Sam Harris and Joe Rogan. Um, Peterson wasn't really a thing then. Um, at least I didn't know about him then. Um, and then also like. I was really exploring Buddhism at the time, and so I was listening to a lot of Buddhist podcasts, um, yeah. you know, and, and doing a lot of exploration there. And so that was pretty meaningful for me too. Like I look back on that with fond memories. Yeah. So at the very least, you got paid to listen to an interesting podcast at large at certain points. Yeah, at certain points. I mean. It, it wasn't most of my job because, like I said, most of the time I wasn't making deliveries. Um, I was in the store. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I'd say it was probably like 60-40. Like 40% doing deliveries and 60% in store work. Mm -hmm. um, there were some other times, too, where I was... There, there, there was a downside to being able to leave the store, which was that... Um, whenever another store was overwhelmed or too busy um, and didn't have enough employees, um, they would send me to that store to help out. You know, or like if a store was running low on supplies like cups or, you know, like just anything, any, like fruit or anything like that, they would also send me, you know, to that store. I remember one time they had me make a delivery of dirty dish rags from our <laughs> store to another store where they had to be washed at that store because that store like because I think our washing machine had been broken down and I put them in the trunk of my car and my car smelled like garbage for like six months after that like I couldn't I could not get the scent and I kind of became accustomed to it 
and I and I just sort of didn't notice it. And then one day I gave one of my friends a ride somewhere, and they were like, Mackenzie, your car smells like garbage. What the heck are you putting in the car? <laughs> I was just like, I'm sorry, this is just my job. <laughs> I think, I think the funniest thing, honestly, about the whole thing that should have been my clue that turnover was going to be very high was how desperate they were to hire me when I got hired. Because I, I'd actually been looking for a job for a while. Like, I'd spent kind of the whole first semester of undergrad looking for a place to work. And it ended up being a lot harder to find one than I thought it would be. Um, you know, I applied to a bunch of places, and some I heard back from, but I never seemed to really get in more than one interview. I got this interview with Tropical Smoothie. I show up, and, you know, the person has me wait in the front for the manager to come out and talk to me. Manager comes out and introduces herself, you know, and I introduce myself. And she says, all right, first things first, do you have a car? And I said, yes. And she said, do you have a license? I said, yes. And she says, do you have car insurance? And I said, yes. And she says, what's your driving record? And I said, perfectly clean. And she said, great, when can you start? <laughs> that was literally the interview. I'm not even joking. That, like, that is exactly how it went down. I believe you. <laughs> yeah. So like, that should have really been my first clue, but I was too naive then. Honestly, like, I don't... Even if you knew back then, would that have changed your decision? Probably not. Yeah. Um, because I was really desperate for work. Um, and it's, uh, you know, paid for a lot of my college. I mean, at least the first, like, year and a half. You know? Yeah. Because my first semester, my parents had put aside money um, for, like, in a college fund. And basically that money was the equivalent of like one semester at UNLV um, and so like my free first semester I got for free for my parents and then after that um, I was paying for the rest of it even even though you were in state even though you were living with your parents so you didn't have to worry about living expenses even with those two big cubbies you still had to save a lot to make, make your way through I had to what? Even with those two big cubbies, you still had to work a lot to be able to pay your way through? I, I, I don't know. I was lucky. I didn't have to work a lot. I was pretty much always part-time, except during the summer, um, where I switched to full-time. So, like, when I was at Tropicals Movie, the only time I was full-time was in the summer. Okay. Um, but then during the semesters, I was part-time. And that was also true when I worked at the Writing Center, which was the next job I got after Tropicals Movie. Um, I only worked uh, there part-time ever. There was never the option to work full-time. They couldn't pay me enough, um, you know, to have me on full-time. So I just always did part-time. Um, the only loans I had to take was towards the end. Like, I think my second to last semester, I took 7500 in loans. Um, because my car died and I needed to get a new car and I basically took 7500 in loans and then dropped that as my down payment for the new car that I bought. Um, and so that was the only loans I took. But, but everything else I was able to just pay my way through. So I was lucky, you know, because I lived at home and so the living expenses weren't an issue. And, um, you know, 
uh, also in state, and I had Millennium Scholarship, you know, so like all of that, like really got into the total cost. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, it only, only took you three and a half years to finish. Yeah, that, that was also because I did summers too, which was a little bit of a mistake. Well, at least one semester it was, because I, I worked full time one summer semester and I also took like three classes and that's like three classes and condensed into like five weeks while working full-time and that was a mistake (laughs) that did not go well one I mean two of the classes I got A's in but the other class I got like a C minus which was kind of like yikes um and I was exhausted and stressed like that whole summer. Like it was not a fun summer because of that. Um, you know, but um, I mean, I still managed it. Like I still got through. I, I guess it, it would have been better if I had taken those three classes, like if they had not been the condensed kind, but they had been like over the whole summer, you know? Yeah. Like the two and a half month classes rather than the five week classes. Um, that would have been more manageable, but like in five weeks, like three classes, like with all the same material, just condensed into five weeks while working 40 hours was just like kind of insane. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I share your experiences in several regards. I don't know why you tell me so far. So, a few things. Mm-hmm. I took several. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I took several summer courses like you did in when I was at UNR multiple times and two, two straight summers and and the first summer that I did it which the one prior to my sophomore year went really smoothly and, and I'm really glad that I did it and helped, and it definitely helped ease my schedule quite a bit but the, the second summer was really more challenging and it worked out all right, but definitely, I definitely could have managed it better. Or, or honestly, some of them would have been I would have have better managed material if it were spread out more over the whole summer. So yeah, I, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also um, a few things as well from your from your time in tropical smoothie. Um, so as I mentioned before. Um, those the two months where I was working at um, the local dispensary where I mentioned before I mm-hmm. admittedly also I did a version of what you were doing when you were doing your deliveries I would often spend a lot most of the day listening to podcasts just to keep myself mm-hmm. engaged keep myself engaged because most of the work that I was doing was honestly quite tedious the work that I was supposed to be doing which was somewhat somewhat interesting was the, the details aren't really relevant, but just it was somewhat interesting. But the thing was that they didn't have enough of it for all of all of us to be needed to do it. So, you know, so usually just mm-hmm. like a small number would. On the, I was supposed to be an extraction technician, and and there was like four people who were also extraction technicians, and there was one like professional extractor. And usually, there just wasn't enough for all of us to really do extraction work. So the rest, so two of us, usually me, one other guy, would go about with packaging of their products, and that was just as, as like 
as mundane as you think it would be. So I would so I would always listen to my podcast on my headset in order to keep myself engaged. And and I because I remember one time that early on when I didn't have my podcast my headset with me to be able to do that. And I remember how slow the day went was and how like mm-hmm. it felt. So yeah. And there were days, especially on the weekends, like there were a lot of people there who worked there. Um, like the weekdays, I would work Thursday through Saturday, no, Thursday through Sunday. But, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of people there on the weekdays, Thursday and Friday. But on the weekends, Saturday and Sunday, it was just really quiet. It was usually just me, the other guy, the other, he would help out with packaging and and the main extractor would be there, but he was always in his own room doing his own thing. So it was just us doing mm-hmm. packaging work and it was just so quiet. And honestly, if I didn't have my headset to listen to my podcast and audiobooks, I would have lost my mind. Yeah. And I, uh, I feel that. Yeah. And honestly, there, I don't feel, and if I'm being honest, I do not feel bad about this in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I got, I got so used to it that I actually got away with watching um, downloaded episodes on Netflix on my phone. Actually, not even that awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. While, while, <laughs> while I was working. <laughs> that, yeah. That was but I, yeah, I, I definitely had that that kind of experience before. Although I never got away with like watching like full episodes of TV, at least about this movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I guess. I, I could have, like, in my car if I just, like, drove my car somewhere and parked it and then just, you know. And the only times I ever did that was when I was just, like, either super exhausted um, or I was really hungry and wanted to eat. That that was the thing. We didn't really get breaks at Tropical Smoothie. Like, legally, we were supposed to, but, like, there was just no... It really wasn't possible if you were in the store because the stores were just so busy that, like... You know, nobody would ever take breaks because, like, you would just be leaving your coworkers behind to suffer terribly. Yeah, you know, because of how busy it was. Um, so, like, for me, the car was like, you know, the chance to do deliveries was kind of like my only escape. <laughs> you know, from the store, I would get really excited every time I'd get a text message and be like, "Oh, is this it? And, you know, is this another delivery?" It's like, please <laughs> let me go. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's such an interesting to yeah. reflect on that. Yeah, I can't remember and if I ever told you. Th- oh, uh, sorry, just, you were saying. Uh, just real quick, um, you've seen Parks and Rec, right? Oh yeah, I love Parks and Rec. Yeah, me too. Um, I watched several seasons of that show on my phone while I was working, like during those, during the, during that time. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I and am envious. I would watch, I, I would watch multiple episodes a day. Um. Again, I don't, I don't feel that because I was doing work that was on, that was a lot really tedious and that wasn't exactly what I was hard for. So I, and at times it felt like things weren't really managed in a competent way. So I just didn't really feel bad about it. And again, <laughs> and, and along with the other obvious parts of it, that it was well, that it was after I finished my education that. I was just trying to build up some work experience because I wasn't being hired anywhere else. That just didn't. It was really hard for me not to feel. Really hard for me to feel bad about any of it. I mean, when I did have work to do, I would do it right. I mean, I still was doing my job while I was 
I wasn't just standing around, I still would be packaging, but it was just still simple enough that I could just watch it while putting stuff away in boxes and taping them and putting them and arranging them and all that sort of thing. It, it was simple enough to work, work and I could still, and I was still technically doing my job. So I wasn't breaking any rules or anything as far as I could tell. Yeah. I remember once, um, I felt so bad about this. This is probably one of those rare moments where I felt true guilt about something I did. A tropical smoothie. Um, we had this like radio um, system that would always be blasting like the same god awful radio channel with like the same five pop songs that were popular at the time over and over and over and over again. Yeah, oh yeah, and that was you... pain. Yeah, and it was painful. And I, I can only imagine how painful that was. Like, oh my gosh, oh, there are certain so songs that my there are certain pop songs to this day that I will always hate because they were popular at that time when I was working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, I believe that. And uh, so what happened was we discovered, I don't, it wasn't me who discovered it, someone else discovered how to like disable the radio system and they discovered that you could connect your phone to it and play your own music from your phone over the speakers. <laughs> um, and so it kind of like became a thing that people did like when we were working at night and the managers and corporate people weren't in um, we had kind of two sets of rules um, for how we did things at Tropical's movie we had the rules for when the manager was there and the rules for when the manager wasn't <laughs> um, yeah, were very I, different. I, I believe that um and so, you know, that was like a thing that we, you know, that we did. And, you know, I remember one time I had a coworker who had just started. They were only a month into the job. And it was me and him. And it was just the two of us in the store, like around seven or eight o'clock at night. And I took my phone and I plugged it in. I showed him how to do it. And he didn't know about the radio thing, you know, the, you know. And so he got really excited about it, you know. Um, you know, and I was like, yeah, this is really cool, you know, and he was a big music guy, you know, so he was, you know, really excited to take his phone and play his music and stuff, right, so he does it, you know, and then, you know, he started doing it regularly, um, you know, I would do it, like, once every six months, or once every, like, a month or so, you know, um, and about two weeks after I first showed him how to do it, one day he was working at night, and he was by himself, he was playing the music and then it just so happened that corporate stopped by oh and caught him doing it and they fired him oh man i felt so awful when i found out like i found out later from another co-worker because i hadn't seen him in like a week and i was like yo i, I can't even remember. i think his name is chad I was like, yo, where's Chad? I haven't seen him in like a week. And then my friend was like, oh yeah, he got fired for playing music from the speakers. And I was like, what? <laughs> I felt so terrible. Did you, did, did you text him afterwards to say you're sorry? I never, I never had his number. Oh. <laughs> I never had any way of contacting him. I guess I could have asked for his number from someone else, but I was like, I don't think he wants to hear from me. <laughs> like, so I kind of just let it go. But, oh. I felt bad about it. but I felt bad about it. I was like, oh no. Yeah. 
I don't know. He probably got a job somewhere else, but still, I, I did feel guilty. Yeah, but hopefully, you, I mean, obviously, it's a free, you live in a big city, so at least you never have to worry about running into, into him and having that awkward encounter. <laughs> or, like, yeah, yeah, I don't, to be honest, he was a pretty chill dude. I don't even think he would have, like, linked it to me. Like, I feel like he would have just been like, oh, I just got unlucky. You know, it's yeah. like he was happy to do it. I was just the person who showed him how. Yeah. Like, because when I showed him, like, it was pretty clear. It wasn't like I told him it was like, it was allowed. Like, I was like, I was like, yeah, like, you know, like, make sure you, like, you know, manager's not in when you do it. But like, you know, because like corporate almost never stopped by. It was very rare that they'd ever stop by, like, in the evenings, you know, or when they did, usually the manager was in and it was in the mornings, you know. Yeah, because they were there to talk to the manager. So it was just, yeah, I was just unlucky. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Um, but the yeah. other thing, yeah. So the other thing where I, I heavily relate to your experiences is that the job I'm at now, where I've been at since like November, mm-hmm. and I'm pretty, I'm fairly satisfied with, and it's definitely a dramatic improvement upon where I was before the century. Well, with that said, though, I have noticed that there's a lot of turnover, like, where I'm at. Like, it's on, it was honestly mm-hmm. surprising. Like, how many people who, when I started, there were who are no longer here, who are no longer there at this at this moment, and, or who planned, or who have already planned to leave soon. Mm-hmm. It's honestly, yeah, it's honestly kind of sad, because there are a lot of people there who, mm-hmm. I thought, who I met when I first started, who I thought were kind of cool, and uh, that would be fun to work with, but, like, after... Just a few months or even just weeks that they are no longer there and they usually um so the thing that people often leave for is not always but often is that they have a very strict attendance policy mm. that they inf- yes and and for a lot of people for some reason that just ends up making it hurting a lot of people i guess and making it very easy for and this and the thing is that it's a pol- that they are very careful that they don't apply this policy with any exceptions whatsoever, so that they never get accused of favoritism or being discriminated. So they apply universally, regardless of, of your personal situation. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, which I can, which it is I can understand, and I I feel and seems fair on paper but in practice has led to a lot of frustration for a lot of people and uh, um, also I'm trying to think um, there are like, some, like there's several examples I can think of I'm just trying to think which one I want to explain I can definitely imagine some. Yeah, um, there was this one guy who I remember, especially. His name was his name was Aaron, and he was a really cool guy, and I got along pretty well with him. He was pretty interesting because he he. Was someone who, that while I was there, he got promoted to be kind of a coordinator for the area where I was at. 
and he was pretty happy about that and he was someone who was pretty forward thinking and he wanted to try to make things uh, better try to push for like changes that he thinks would make things run more smoothly more competently and he was kind of guy who cared about who tried really hard to do that and he <laughs> faced a lot of frustration because you know as it is with those kinds of places that there was a lot of bureaucracy and just a lot of slow pedaling where management was just really reluctant to embrace any real changes even when they made, even when they made sense for whatever reason mm-hmm. and so after a few after a little while i don't remember how long he was in that position for but right before i got so i remember he eventually got it demoralized enough that he decided to leave like put in his two weeks notice and he officially left um it was actually funny he left on the day right before the work day before i got furloughed which was in late april so yeah mm-hmm. yeah and that was a shame and it's he's he's especially kind of interesting because he was he's originally from texas and specifically i believe Fort Worth, texas and he was fairly young like relatively um i think he was in his either late 90s or early 30s and i got to say about my workplace there's a for a while at least there seemed to be a pretty interesting like diversity in age there are people there who are, who are a few years away from retirement and there are people there who are on or in their early 20s or and all, and all and all in between so i just found that kind of interesting now the uh, him specifically he's interesting because especially because you know being in southern utah i to be clear i don't normally i don't really bring this up with him but based on him so initially i figured this aspect of him out early on where he had a, a taste in tv shows that were pretty similar to mine he watched a lot of shows that i watched and that i really enjoyed based on that i kind of figured that we had maybe someone similar interest and maybe similar values and it turns out later that as he and i normally i wouldn't bring this up but eventually he would that he um is actually quite lefty and he uh, it and he would eventually start to bring up conversations about politics at our some coworkers of mine that weren't weren't to be clear weren't really hostile they weren't like really like shouting contests but i would still try to avoid it because i would always worry it could be it could become that it usually wouldn't but i still would try to be careful to stay out of those things he became he 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 made it clear that he was a pretty he was kind of a bernie bro honestly mm-hmm. and and my, my two coworkers who he would he could usually talk about that were both like they were both younger than me they were both and yeah i think i mentioned them to you they were girls who were who used to be fldf used to be polygamous like, oh yeah like, i remember yeah 20 or 21 and there neither of them have any strong like opinions that are kind of like disaffected you know the kind who are just generally pretty snickel bob politics don't really try to take an interest in it who have vague like center left like ideas about policy making but who generally don't really think about it in a like constructive way and so yeah they they would hate talking about it every now and then 
and so occasionally I would try to talk to him about like or text and like share articles I found interesting and so it, just on just on its own it's just interesting to have someone who had those kinds of um I like proclivities like left wing pretty like progressive proclivities who lived in that area because obviously kind of I kind of made because if, when I started working there I always knew that being in Southern Utah that it would be pretty solid conservative so I kind of just made it a policy to myself to avoid talking about politics with people there just because I knew there was always risk that it would get ugly mm-hmm. I don't think he ever did I, I don't think I ever heard him do that with anyone else besides my Two, two co-workers I was with most of the time I, I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure he was careful enough to never bring it up with like management or like other like older adults I'm pretty sure he knew that that would be inappropriate and probably wouldn't be helpful the thing and to be clear he was pretty good friends with the, my two co-workers they would also talk casually about normal stuff and just make small talk and they were they get along pretty well and they seemed to respect each other pretty well so yeah, he was honestly, mm-hmm. for the most part, he, he was a cool guy, and it was kind of sad that he left because he really did try to be a good, a good coordinator, and the shame it didn't work out, and I, and I feel bad for him because I could tell he made a good effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, um, he, he did have a good work ethic, and he did, did try to take pride in his job, but you know, he's the kind of guy who can't really stay somewhere unless he, if he feels that's kind of. If he can't, if he just feels demoralized about it, yeah. yeah. He—he's honestly he seems that guy who, who I feel like his calling would be to be like a labor union leader or organizer, what have you. Mm-hmm. I feel that's the kind of thing he'd be—he'd be good yeah. to go for. So I hope he eventually finds his calling one day. I, yeah, I haven't really—he he eventually. Oh yeah, so he moved back to Texas. I haven't really seen touch with him much. So I don't know what he's, what he's been up to. So this is actually interesting, and I think it's worth mentioning. So obviously, with my commute, I pretty much have to drive 45 minutes to get to work, right? So most right. I try to wake up by 3 a.m. because work starts at six, but it's in Utah time zones. So I, I pretty much from the time I wake up to when I officially have to clock in by, it's two hours. So mm-hmm. most days I'm able to get there on time, but the two two times I was closest to getting late was. One time was very recently. One time was really early on, like just a few days before when I started. I don't know. I don't remember why this was. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because when I first started, I would try to leave my home around four, so when I would have an hour to get there, yeah. usually it'd be all right. But one time, there was actually traffic through the gorge that took me a few minutes to get through, which was very frustrating because usually that wouldn't happen. But I guess once every now and then, I, that was awesome. That would happen, and when it did, yeah, I, I barely made it on time. Like I clocked in officially at five fifty that day. Whew. Yeah, so times were yeah. exact pretty close, and and I mostly didn't 
pushed the speed limit too much that day. I try. I still try to be careful. So if I had, maybe it wouldn't have been as close. But very recently, there was one time where if, <laughs> I'm pretty embarrassed of this, but I still, but I, I still made managed to make it work. Where I got up at three and I was still really tired because I didn't sleep much, and I went to walk to the kitchen, and I just I don't know what I was thinking. This well, I know what I was thinking. I was just being really dumb about it. I lay down on the couch because I was still tired and feeling. I was just resting my head for a few minutes, and then oh no! And then when, like, <laughs> an hour, and then and then the next thing I knew, when I opened my eyes, I looked at the clock and it was and it said four. And I thought, there's no way that could be right. I was only like I only laid down for like a few minutes, like a few seconds ago, because I was just so tired that I didn't even pick up the passage of time, and. At that point, I checked my phone and it did say it was like right exactly at four. And 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 remember, I hadn't showered or eaten breakfast or dressed up or anything. So at that point, I realized I'm probably going to be late. So then I just didn't even try to eat breakfast or shower. I just put on my clothes for the day and got my stuff and went to the truck and started like blowing ass out of there. And I actually would drive down most and I would do go by my commute and drive. Do my drive like 90 hours, 90 miles an hour, like most of it. Like I was, <laughs> I was rushing, and normally I would. Yeah, you, you were gone. Yeah, and honestly, I'm so glad that there were no police cars. I'm, I'm really glad that state troopers are not there that early in, in the morning because if there were, I would have gotten a speeding ticket. Like, <laughs> I would have gotten a speeding ticket guaranteed. I'm so glad there was no one there. So, yeah, yeah. Like I was going 90 for most of it, and I, and in the end, I did manage to make it, but I end up clocking at five. 56. So yeah, I, I, I regret it and I Oof. and I really wish I didn't have to do that. And it was pretty foolish of me to let myself like fall asleep when I was I had to get ready for work. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was pretty lucky that it worked out all right. What's, what's funny about that, there were a lot of times I was almost late to work when I worked at Tropical Smoothie, but for the opposite reason because I lived um, like a two minute drive away from my workplace. (laughs) And so there were a lot of days where I'd leave exactly two minutes before (laughs) I was supposed to clock in. (laughs) You know, and like, I don't know, there were times where I was almost late because of it, where like the traffic was slightly slower than I thought it should be or whatever, you know, stuff like that. and so I, I just think that's funny. Like, it's almost like if you're really f- far away from where you work, or if you're really close, the temptation to be late is almost like greater for both of those, but like not if you're in the middle. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I usually tried to be there at least five minutes before my clock in time. That was always my thing. Um, but sometimes, sometimes I was not. Say that again. I said I usually tried to be there like five minutes before my clock-in time. Although it's interesting because my store didn't really enforce that very much. Like, at least for me, I don't know if they did for other people. But like, if I clocked in at like 11.03 one day, nobody ever said anything about it. You know, as opposed to like 11 a.m., which is what my starting time always was. 
the whole time I worked there, my shift was always the same. It was always 11 a.m. to 9 p.m. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like nobody ever seemed to raise an issue with it. Um, so I don't know. Like, I just think they, I, I just think that, you know, so long as I was there getting my work done, they were, they didn't really care about the other stuff. Yeah. Um, it, but it wasn't a very well-managed store. So that honestly was probably a large part of it as well. Yeah. Like in general, the management was subpar for most of the time I was there. Um, you know, it started to get a little better towards the end um, because they started hiring more people, um, you know, and that was an improvement, but there were definitely other things. Eventually, my store location was actually shut down um, because of health code violations. <laughs> wow. Well, how long after? Which, like, oh probably like two or three years oh okay never mind yeah i mean i'm pretty i'm pretty sure my manager was still there okay but maybe not yeah she had like a sister like my manager when i left i had two managers while i was there but my second manager was the one i had for most of the time i was working there and she like um she had like a sister who was in corporate at the company and I think she was trying to like work her way up to a position like her sister's and she was in management as a a consequence of that I think that was her like ultimate goal oh okay you think she used nepotism or something well I don't know that but I wouldn't be surprised okay (laughs) like I don't have any evidence to support it yeah I just wouldn't be surprised. It's just kind of an intuition. Yeah. Um, but, you know, maybe not. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't ultimately know whatever happened with all of that. And I know they, like, shut down my store, but they reopened it. But then they sold that location and moved my store's location. So the place I used to work is no longer a tropical smoothie, but it is now a coffee bean. Okay. Um and they moved it like a few blocks down to another place. But I don't think there'd be anyone there at that place that I'd still know. I'd be shocked if there were, given how high the turnover rate was when I was there. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing about that store location that I worked at was um, the guy who did night shifts. So we had one guy who did night shift. His name was David. And he always did a fabulous job on night shift. Um, and he was the only one who would work. And every time he worked, I mean, I guess he wasn't the only person because he did, he wasn't working like seven days a week. Right. But like whenever he worked, the store was always immaculately clean when you came in to open up the shift, like the store in the morning, he was just a phenomenal cleaner and organizer. So, like, he would just spend his whole night cleaning, right? Um, And just do a really good job. I found out later from somebody else who was friends with him, like, outside of work, uh, one of my coworkers, that apparently what he would do, because, you know, it's night shift, hardly anyone would ever come by, you know, in the drive-thru. He would really spend the first half of his shift, like, cleaning the store. 
And then the second half of his shift, he'd invite his friends, and they'd do drugs in the driveway at the top of his movie. <laughs> wow. And, you know, he knew where all the blind spots were so that they couldn't be seen by the store cameras. Um, but, like, nobody ever cared because, you know, like, he just did such a good job. Like... <laughs> Wow. Like, so nobody ever questioned him or tried to, like, investigate him. Or if they ever did, I don't think they cared because he was just such a good employee that nobody ever wanted to get rid of him. He had been with the company for two years before I got hired, and he was still there when I left. He had by far the longest employee streak of any person. Wow, that's... He'd been working for the company longer than either of my managers or corporate. <laughs> it's crazy. I that's insane. I mean, look. Yeah. When you say do drugs, do you mean just like sm- like smoke cannabis mainly, or like even harder than mainly, that? Mainly, I think mainly cannabis, but also harder than that. Okay. I know there was cocaine at one point. <laughs> that's what I heard. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's I, you need. I can't even, you you gotta have something. You gotta have something to get you through night shift. <laughs> I, I figure you, most people night shift people would just listen to music or whatever on their, on their phone, or, or a coffee, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like I gotta respect that. No. Nope. That a druggie like that is, has such a good work ethic. <laughs> like that takes dedication. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It was like he was, you know. He was a drug, like, kind of a little bit of a drug. I don't know if he was a drug dealer, per se, or maybe his friends were. Definitely, at least one of his friends was. But, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, I just compartments. I mean, look, Freud did cocaine all the time prior to his life. <laughs> so it certainly doesn't stop you from making meaningful contributions, I suppose. Yeah. If you have the right uh, dedication, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just I, I just find that really amusing. But yeah, that was one of my funnier stories from Tropical Smoothie. Indeed. Oh, oh yeah, and also something I forgot to mention that also is related to what you said is that I was also surprised by how simple the 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 employment process was when I got hired on at Lighthouse, where I'm at right now. That the day I came in for my interview after I sent in my application, and I don't the I the day my interview was the same day they hired me and like officially brought me on like it was like it was insane to me like like obviously I was overqualified I don't know I that was part of the boss though I'm pretty sure this is common for many employees because they've been off my dad works there now and he, he, got, he got hired on that day and I, I hear the same thing from mm-hmm. other employees is that if you seem if you interview basically well and you seem basically competent and qualified they will take you straight to um, HR to have give you the paperwork to sign on your, um, I don't know, a contract of employment. Not, not, it's not a contract. Um, just to sign on that you want that you that you will take their offer of employment, and then they'll discuss with you your benefits, your your start date, your orientation, like all that that same day, just like a few minutes later after you have had your interview. Like it was surprising to me, like wow, how streamlined it was, and I was impressed by it, but. Obviously, looking back now, that might have been a sign of how much turnover there was. 
So, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, sure. So yeah, that's why they're just I, quite desperate to get people started. Yeah, that's why I find ways to work saying pretty funny. Yeah, when I got hired, they the way that they do their hiring with tropical smoothies, you have to do a two week training period. So they have like a store that you go to, where like that's a training store, where they send all the new employees to work, um, and get trained basically. And the training is supposed to be two weeks. Mine was just one week because they needed me to start like basically the next week after my interview. And so they just cut my training to a week. Um, also too, because I was doing delivery primarily, you know, was the idea. So they didn't care if I didn't learn how to like work the register, for example, or how to do drive-through. So like they just cut that from my training, doing drive-through and register. Um, which ended up being a bad idea because I ended up having to do both drive-through and register at different points when our store got busy, and that was really stressful because I had not been trained. And basically, they were just like, "Figure it out." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, there was one day of orientation, which was about eight hours, I believe, or I think maybe or six. No, I'll say about eight hours, just where you go into a room. As and set a table with the other new hires and they just give you videos and you just answer very basic questions about what what the videos instruct you about like safety procedures about hygiene standards that sort of thing and and it's just like company policies and all that and and then after that then they then you start the next day then you actually start your job and you're expected to learn a lot of like details specific to your position you're expected to learn while on the job, while working from and learning from your coworkers that way. Like you're not form formally trained in, in your specific thing. Like you're expected to just kind of pick that up over time. They, I think I remember like one of the managers saying like during orientation that you kind of, it, honestly we we kind of expect you to learn it over in, in the first two months to really know all the ins and outs of your position, which I kind of thought they. Seem, which I mean I believe them, but that was mostly true for me. Or your coworkers, because there's always usually fairly busy. That they, it doesn't seem worth it. That they just taught you. They taught me. Well, again, they were younger than me. Maybe that was part of it. They taught me little things about the FY word of the job, <laughs> like um, scanning, like making labels for the products we were prepping, and like how to. Put them into the system and how to modify labels if there was a mistake because a lot of little details are going mm-hmm. to making sure everything is going correctly and where to find new supplies when we run out of something a lot of little things they taught me as we went along i just followed them and observed like they because usually they wouldn't really it wouldn't really seem necessary for them to teach me because i was just helping out with like the manual labor because I, this is part of it too why there was a lot of turnover especially where my particular area said because it was physically demanding that and they were both um, girls in their early 20s that a lot of it was just pretty tiring to them and kind of wear down their bodies. So I was pretty helpful in like doing a lot of the heavy lifting in that area. Mm -hmm. And so they probably got tired of it. That was one one part of, not, not the only reason, but a key reason why they decided, well, one of them left when I came back from fur- furlough, thought she's not around anymore. But the other one, who I, who my coworker who I started with, 
she's still here, but she's gonna leave like in a few days. She put in a few weeks notice, mm-hmm. and that was a key reason why she decided to leave. Like because you know she's young, and she's mm-hmm. if it's not healthy for her to do like a physically demanding work for this long at a young age, which I can respect. So yeah, like in that in that regard, I, I can. I, I can relate to your experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's definitely uh, a lot. Of, it seems like there's a lot of similarities uh, between. Uh, I, I guess that are common to many uh, physically demanding um, jobs, uh, in which you know the s- skills are not necessarily high. Yeah. Or you know. Yeah, um, seems like a lot of those places have pretty high turnover, and yeah, you know, um, which sort of makes sense, especially for tropical smoothie because everyone there at the store got paid minimum wage except for the manager, you know, um, and people would often have to work longer hours just because of the poor scheduling, and you know, and nobody got any health benefits or you know anything like that, you know, and so. You know, it definitely wasn't a pleasant job. Um, you know, and also too, a lot of people who worked there, like there were a lot of people in the summer that were at my store that were only there for the summer because they were like students who were like getting ready to like leave for college in the fall or something, but like wanted a summer job, you know, yeah. um, or go back to school, you know, in the fall. And so like that was really common. Like I, I actually had a one of my coworkers went to my same high school. Um, and they were like a high school student at the time they were working there um, at Spring Valley, um, which was kind of a neat connection. They ended up knowing like a bunch of people that I knew actually, because it was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess not too surprising because it was in the same area. So like, you know, but I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah. I'm pretty glad that I do have uh, my place that so we do have pretty strong benefits as far as I can tell and decent pay mm-hmm. and I won't tell you because it's pretty um, at 14 an hour that's where we start off before mm-hmm. I'm at the moment mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah although I'd, so it's not that bad <laughs> uh, but again um, there was one co-worker I had recently who I'm pretty sure they're not there anymore. That's the thing. Um, because they had poor attendance, because their attendance record was pretty quite bad. And a big part of it was that they had, a, that they were, that she was a single mother at home. And because, and she wasn't, she had, had a hard time finding babysitters for her kids. So she went off to have for Kevin late. So I haven't seen her around like a week or two. So, but honestly, I'm pretty sure this one she's gone. I'm pretty sure she just quit because she knew she won't be able to make it work. And it's kind of, that sort of thing I do find really mm-hmm. sad. And it's kind of the thing that makes me really wish that more companies have like some kind of childcare area for single parents. Yeah. Find babysitters. Or, yeah, or at least have a policy of being able to cover um, childcare for, for parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it's definitely tough. It's, it's interesting because, you know, I was talking about this recently with um, my brother's uh, wife, my sister-in-law. Um, she works at the Wind in Las Vegas, 
Um, and she was telling me that they have a relatively strict attendance policy. Um, you know, and she said she's always worried about that in the context of like, you know, stuff like coronavirus, where, you know, people are afraid to not go to work if they're feeling sick. And so it kind of incentivizes people, you know, to go to work when they are feeling sick, you know, which is obviously not a good thing because you're spreading disease to other people. Um, you know, and so I, I think, you know, in general, you know, we definitely need to find ways to be more, uh, I guess, to create systems and structures that are more accommodating for people's circumstances, you know, yeah. whether that be disease or sickness or, you know, being a single parent, you know, or being a caregiver, you know, too. Yes. Um, for like an elderly parent, for example, um, you know, and stuff like that. Yes. And especially where I'm at, they've started recently having a very, they've had, they've recently, like, they've already had this for a few weeks since we came back from furlough, but now they're being strict about it, really strict, of, ha- of making sure all employees wear masks on the job that covers the, both the nose and the mouth. And our coordinator mm-hmm. has been really tough and making it very clear that, they, that they're going to be direct, going to enforce it strictly or else we'll get in trouble for it. So yeah, mm-hmm. and they have it so that anyone who comes through the door, well, at the start of the shift when they come in, they have to have their head scanned to check no, the have their temperature checked. Yep. And, and recently, we've there's already been from two people at the plant who've who've been tested positive for COVID nineteen, although we have no idea who they oh, are. Wow. We have no idea who they are because of public, public I believe HIPAA that makes it so that their privacy has to be protected so we don't we can't know who they are or what department they work in or what shift they're on mm-hmm. and they make it clear they're taking all the precautions necessary to make sure that they're that we're keeping safe and minimizing potential exposure and so such as trying so you, we used to share all the employees on this on the same shift which usually share the same break group but now we divide them up and have it so that different departments have different break rooms like my mm-hmm. like my department now is in the train the, the training room we now use as our break room too so that we can have enough space to be to be able to socially distance from each other during our breaks mm-hmm. so yeah it's, I like yeah oh yeah okay. oh no so Alongside with what you said about using your driving job to listen to podcasts, I since I have to commute for like forty five minutes both ways each day, I I've been, I've been using that to listen to a lot of different podcasts and listen to my audiobooks. So that part of it, I I, I use to my advantage. I, so that part of it, like I do enjoy. Well, the part that of like having to commute long, that kind of distance, I do enjoy that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's interesting. I feel like I, uh, I've i kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit with my podcast listening, um, especially this last, I guess really this last two years. Um, I just really haven't been listening to very many podcasts. You know, I canceled my Audible because I had so many books in my library 
that there was no sense in ordering a new one each month. Yeah. Um, and I still have like probably like 14 books to work my way through, you know, before my library is uh, empty. Um, and I don't know. I don't think I'll work my way through them anytime soon. So, you know, I just uh, my concentration is like I feel like declined quite a bit. I think that's part of the reason why, like when I'm doing mindless stuff, um, you know, whether that be driving or just like you know relaxing or anything like that, I find now that it's like way easier for me to listen to music than it is for me to listen to podcasts. Yeah, I respect that, and I and I understand that too exactly. And mm-hmm. I try to same thing with my audiobooks. I several I plan to read, but I haven't really got around to. And so that I can't. I mean, obviously, I I can't. I pretty much have the time, with, but it's just more so that I have to get in the, in the right state of mind to listen to certain ones because they're yes, especially it's it's kind of frustrating when you bought certain audiobooks that at a certain time you were interested in a particular subject that you because you've had it and over as time passed and you kind of have got distracted by other things by the time you have you finally have time for for that audiobook you your interest has kind of moved away from that subject so you still kind of want to read it but you don't feel the need to at that particular moment so you just kind of keep holding off on it and hope one day you'll have that that you'll have the interest sparked again to want to dive into it Mm-hmm. No, yeah, definitely. I, I'm with you on that. Like, I, I feel that so hard for some of the audiobooks that are still in my library. Um, there was like one I bought that was like a history book. Um, that was like exploring the history of like secret organizations, um, like things like the Illuminati and like other types of secret societies. And it was like a historical account of like some of the themes throughout history that have been present in secret societies and it but the time that I bought it I was super excited I listened to the first like hour of like the 12 hours that the audiobook was and I was really into it and then now like every single time I try and go back and listen to it I can only listen to like five minutes before I'm done <laughs> yeah like just my interest completely died um, and I can't even really say why. It just you know, like was not like a especially good uh, reason for it. It just ha- just kind of died. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things that's always kind of annoying about like just human. Um, I don't know what they call it really. Just how our brains just motivation. Yeah, our interest just naturally evolves so that it's and times where things that you. <laughs> You on paper, you you on paper, you understand something to be important or interesting and worth understanding, but you just can't make connect with it on a personal level to where you want to commit to learning about it or consuming it, whatever it is. And it's that kind of disconnect. It's always kind of frustrating. And I think about this sort of thing just like in general with people who have different careers and they're all always think about how you think that you're an expert on your, your own career your own particular thing but no one else and but no one else but most other people aren't and you <laughs> maybe kind of see that as as if I think a frustration that you think to yourself that it would be better off if more people understood this one thing that I understand 
And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we think about that in terms of. Uh, oh, obviously, I think about that in terms of knowledge about how about how public like public policy and governing, you know, and and citizenship. And I think about that. That obviously is thinking myself. I wish more people. This thing that I care a lot about, and then really interested. In, I wish more people cared about it the way I did. Then, then the world would be a better place. I imagine there are a lot of people with different career, different careers or different interests in that in mind who would who think the same thing about their own particular interest. That if more people understood their thing and cared about it, then the world would be a better place. About whether it be obviously about politics or about science or about um, people who are mechanics or people who are educators, people who are doctors, people who are lawyers, people who are, who are in careers mm-hmm. that are important and relevant for different reasons and and are obviously informed about their own thing and probably think that, that if more people understand that it deserves to be taken seriously by other people and they don't feel it is. And they're, and although they themselves might be ignorant about something else that that someone else takes a lot of pride in and just that kind of different like web of pride and, and ignorance about other things they have pride in the one thing that you do understand or that you, that you or, or the few things that you do understand or are good at kind of comes into it and it's just kind of interesting to see how that sort of web takes shape and just having to come to understanding that that's just kind of part of human nature that we all can be experts on everything and that but not so much well that's not the right way to put it it's not so much that we should want to be experts on uh, on all these different subjects it's the idea that we should at least learn to try to take it to take different subjects seriously and understand yes that, and believe that even if you don't have that mental because Obviously, we I think about that we have a limited amount of energy and limited limited amount of time in the day, so that we don't really have the capacity to really understand all like important every subject that you think is important to having a good a better world. Like we can't on understand them fully, but at least we should try to put in the effort to at least learn to respect those subjects properly and respect the people who do put in the effort to understand. To understand the subjects and and make them work in their own careers, so that that's part of it that I do find frustrating is our willing that not so much our willingness to learn and understand specific ideas that are important that that aren't part of our I guess maybe our sphere or our circle of immediate interest or expertise or but our willingness to at least take it seriously and, and realize that. At, that it, it is as important or if, as our as our particular ex- um, areas of expertise and that deserves to be taken seriously as much as ours is but we should try to believe that just, that regardless of how much we value our own thing that we should believe it's automatically worthy of greater priority than the than someone else's and to try to think of it eh, that in relation to, to others and how together they 
as like a larger part of a larger ecosystem of things that helps make society function and try to think of it in a more collective perspective makes me a lot healthier yeah you know i'm i'm definitely in agreement with you um there one of the things that i found to be especially concerning um in recent years is that there's been a lot less uh trust around expertise um you know um there's a certain kind of rhetoric that sort of equates a certain kind of expertise with like elitism um or like uh you know um yeah a, you know an elitism that disconnects people or the experts from the real world and so you know and one of the problems of with that is that you know you as an individual only have so much time to read and understand um all the things that will affect and impact your decisions in the world right so most of the decisions you make are based upon uh hard work that's done by other people who have more expertise than you in given in given areas you know and so we need to have a reasonable trust in in expertise um at the same time that also shouldn't be a blind trust either um you know we we should learn how to critically evaluate what experts um are able to communicate to us but we should also be able to trust that they're communicating you know the best current state of knowledge you know according to the field in which they're positioned you know and that's a i noticed that in public discourse especially that's a very hard balance for people to strike you know it seems that people it, there's a strong temptation to say you know forget the experts like you know like do what works for you versus um you know do everything the experts say always and never question what the experts say you know yeah i, I notice people often find themselves and i think some of that is a little artificial like some of that is just the consequence of the way in which media sort of polarizes conversations unnecessarily you know because if you sit people down in a room and you bring up that juxtaposition you know most people will say that they kind of go along with the nuanced perspective where sometimes you can trust the experts and sometimes you not um but you know i think it's just the way our conversations get polarized in the media space that makes it difficult to like have those kinds of conversations in public forums um i don't know yeah. that's something i've been thinking about recently yeah it's relevant to the coronavirus yeah um, um because I actually I- Okay, um I actually have something related to this I think it's worth mentioning. Um so sure. did you I'm uh, just curious did you ever check out um that podcast episode that I recommended on the Esther Klein show that talked about that was one of those two that I mentioned that has conversation about the media that I thought was interesting uh, and worth mentioning and or I think I thought the approach no, the limitations I... of media discourse in a thoughtful way that I I thought you would enjoy. That one I didn't get a chance to check it out. I checked out all the links you texted me, but I didn't get a chance to check the ones you emailed. Now that, that was the one you emailed me. Yeah. Um I remember there was this talking conversation he was having that was kind of around this idea where 
they especially obviously when it comes to like pen, the pandemic but also when it comes to things like climate change that experts feel they can't be honest they can't be honest about uncertainty in their models even if even if it's a very small amount like however small, like five percent or one percent uncertainty they feel that any that the any uncertainty they give is room for bad faith actors to exploit it and use it as a way of giving people an excuse to not take what they're saying seriously and so they feel they have yeah. to pretend it's a hundred percent absolute truth in order for people to listen and take it seriously so that lack of so yeah that sort of really that sort of relationship uh, i can understand mm-hmm. and i've kind of thought about that as well and it's unfortunate it, it, what's even more unfortunate about it is it's a self-defeating dynamic because if you are not honest about the fact that there's some uncertainty in your models, when people discover the fact that you haven't been honest about that, then they think, well, what else aren't you being honest about? Maybe all of it is nonsense. And so then that engenders more doubt, for, for my opinion. But at least that's the, the thing I've noticed um, with the pandemic situation, especially among a lot of family and friends um, in relationship to the issue of masks. You know, so now that states are reopening, um, they're seeing increases in coronavirus cases, which you would expect. And so now many states are requiring masks um, to reduce the spread of the virus, right? And, you know, there's good research to show that it does, in fact, like masks do, in fact, effectively limit the spread of the virus. Um, but back in March, um, when there was concern over whether or not there was enough PPE equipment for medical professionals, um, you know, uh, the message was, you know, the medical professionals need masks, please don't buy any, and uh, they don't really work very well. Um, so let, let the, let's the, let the medical professionals have them and, you know, for civilians, they won't do anything. Right. And so people see this huge contradiction and a lot of people are like now doubting everything that's been said about the virus because because of this contradiction and really it's based on a a set of really impossible double binds that you know public health officials kind of found themselves in you know because it's like okay we need to communicate to people that they should that like we need more masks for our medical professionals that we aren't getting. Um, but I think perhaps a lot of it can be boiled down to the way in which that communication was not as clear um, as maybe it could have been. Because the interpretation people came away with was that masks weren't effective in March, and then suddenly now they're effective in May. You know, And it's like, well, what's going on here? And so it was definitely, definitely there's an element of PR that's associated with that and I think you know in relationship to climate change you know like feeling like you can't be you can't admit to the uncertainty in the model because then people will say well then fine climate change is all nonsense um, um you know be, I worry but, that it's just be- to be clear so, sorry not in the climate change itself like that's there's no doubt about that, that that's pure consensus no it's about specifically well, I, like yeah what, what needs to be done about it like whether it's more so yes. specific ways of adapting to it like do we because obviously a lot of efforts to adapt to that reality are going to require a lot of sacrifice from people a lot of 
a lot of change is going to happen to their routine and the luck. And obviously, a lot of people are uncomfortable with the kind of sacrifices they have to make to adapt to it, unless they unless they believe it is absolutely necessary. So, um, that's a good way of putting it. Absolutely necessary. Yeah, because if there's uncertainty, then you can use that as an argument to say, well, maybe not absolutely necessary. Yeah, and so all this money and effort that goes into adaption of that will affect people's lives dramatically if, if there's any possibility no matter how minuscule that it might not be completely necessary then up in, in their minds the way they think of it then they'll then there'll be a lot of backlash for it so that's adds to some pressure for them to have to explain their views in such a way that it minimizes any uncertainty in the minds of average people who make those decisions about how much sacrifice they're willing to endure in order to adapt to the reality of climate change. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, definitely. I, I can see how that would be playing an important role there. Um, and so it's, it's a tough situation because it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Um, in general, you know, my bias is to say that, you know, as much as it is possible, be 100% sort of transparent about, you know, uh, all, sort of all the, the full, I guess you might say the total state of the evidence of a given field. Um, but of course, that's not always possible because of, you know, limitations um, in the way in which that information is communicated to the public. You know, um, since media sort of, you know, sound bites information, there's only so much that can be communicated effectively to a wide range of people who aren't, like, you know, familiar with the subject. Um, and so, you know, deciding exactly which information gets communicated is not an easy task. Yeah, um, especially or necessarily straightforward. Especially with um, COVID nineteen, like scientific studies that try to understand how to best adapt to it, the pandemic, and how to respond to it most in a way that's most um, beneficial to public health. Those studies have to be done at a, a rapidly accelerated play, um, pace. And obviously, trying to do that in a way that's consistent with scientific, um, with high, the traditional standards of scientific integrity can be difficult and makes it so that once information gets out about the right way to adapt to something or like a certain, um, yeah, I don't know, um, way for people who are diagnosed with it and a way to combat it that turns out not to be scientifically, that was done with like questionable methodology once that gets out to the mainstream public that having to correct for it can be can be very difficult and, and just the fact that it was released can have very um, damaging collateral damage to people's health if if something that they thought would be helpful to their to their treatment turns out wasn't so that sort of so do you have does that, that does that issue come up in the scientific discourse that you follow 
I, you cut out for just a moment, right as you were asking the question, so I missed the last part. In the scientific discourse that you follow with like other scientific researchers, does that issue come up with having to make accelerated studies about like public health and the pandemic, but trying to make it so that bad information doesn't get out to a large, because obviously people are look, if, are obviously really looking for answers about how to be stay healthy and how to, and if they, people who are positive for it, how they can try to fight it off in a way that's most beneficial t- to their health. And they're obviously trying to do it quickly. It's difficult to do that at an accelerated place. Well, acceler- accelerated place, pace, mm-hmm. while still being consistent with scientific standards of scientific integrity. Is how, like, is there, do you see a lot of frustration about that with trying to make it yeah. so that they can avoid bad, bad stuff, like studies are questionable from getting out before they're properly validated or keeping up with the pace of demand for good information to combat it like mm-hmm. yeah go ahead most of the discourse I engage with on that front is on Twitter I guess on what I would kind of just call science Twitter um, and it seems like to me the general attitude roughly speaking seems to be that uh, people are somewhat annoyed kind of in an eye rollish sort of way um, at the flurry of new COVID-19 papers especially in the psychology world because um, there's been a lot of people studying like the mental health and behavioral effects of the pandemic um, you know of just extended periods of shutdown where people are quarantined at home um, and like those are important to study but definitely people seem quite exasperated by the fact that these studies are taking place so quickly and the methodology is often not up to par because of that. Um, But, you know, there's a little bit of a begrudging acceptance of the facts because it's like, well, like, you know, we are on a time crunch, so it's like there's not a whole lot you can do about that. Um, You know, on the whole, I haven't really seen discussion about like trying to prevent the world from like seeing these studies you know that are like poorly done so much I I haven't seen people talking about that I guess I've seen a couple of people raise that as a concern like that it might you know engender more doubt in the minds of the public about the legitimacy of like social and behavioral sciences um you know from the psychology perspective um and that's something that people definitely talk about in different subfields of psychology. Um, some replicate better than others. Um, so, you know, the, that's always a relevant issue. Um, so, I guess, I don't know, it's a little bit of an underwhelming response. I guess I haven't really seen a whole lot of discussion about that so much as it has been. Ma- mainly it's been people expressing exasperation at how many COVID-19 papers have come out so quickly and how many of them are simply recapitulations or overlapping papers that don't really contribute anything new beyond what the previous papers, you know, the previous 50 other papers have contributed. Um, 
and mostly exasperation at that, you know, like, oh, you know, here's another original COVID-19 paper, right? Yeah, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I get it, like a frustration at the opportunism, I guess. Yes, definitely. There's definitely been a lot of that. Like, oh, here's COVID-19, opportunity to write a paper about something I'm not an expert in. Yeah. You know? I can understand It's that. kind of, people sort of roll their eyes at it a little bit. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, so I, I'm planning on attending a conference. It's a virtual conference. It's going to be in February of 2021. Um, it's the social, um, SPSP is what it's called, but it's the social personality um and something psychology conference it's like the biggest sort of conference um in academic psychology for social psychology like that subfield that does social psychology and personality research um and you know um people are just already kind of talking about how much they're not looking forward to all the COVID-19 posters and papers that will be there <laughs> you know at the conference <laughs> People are already grumbling about it, and the submissions haven't even started yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, real quick, I actually have to go to the bathroom for a minute. Um, oh, that's I'll, be right, I'll be right back. But you know what? While I'm gone, I want you to think about um, this question. This is this will be more. This will be fun. So I know that a few weeks ago you finished watching binge watching the Avatar: The Last Airbender. So with that, I want to ask this question. Like, yes. Now, now, now that you finished it, how? Because obviously you've been hearing about it for years, and you probably maybe saw some scenes of it and had these all these preconceptions and ideas in your head of what it would be like and how some characters would be and what what have you. Like how in the end, like how was it different from what you expected to be? Having all that build up. I'll think about it. Years. Yeah, I'll be right. So I'll be back in a minute, and you think about that. All right, I'm back. So what's up? So three things in response to your question the first was going into it I knew it was a kids cartoon but I thought it was going to be way more action oriented than it was like comedy oriented like it was a lot funnier than I expected All right. um, which I appreciated I enjoyed that quite a bit um, so that was kind of the first thing the second thing was um, it was like how do I put it the storytelling was way deeper and way more interesting than you would expect out of a kid's cartoon. You know, because like most kids' cartoons are kind of superficial, you know, like they don't they don't go into a lot of like depth. But like, man, wow, Avatar had a deep story. Like, I was impressed. Like the character development, the motifs that they extended throughout the show. You know, like they had all these elements that did wonderful foreshadowing of like future changes and developments. Um, that was the second one that really stood out to me. Um, and then I think probably the third one was I, I, I don't even know how to like put it exactly. I guess I kind of like I didn't expect it to be as like um, rooted. Like it was a lot more philosophical. That's what I was looking for. It was a lot more philosophical than I thought it would be. Like it was actually pretty strongly rooted in like East Asian philosophy, especially like Taoism and like elements of Buddhism and also Hinduism as well. 
um, and like that was like explained in a way that would be accessible to kids way more effectively than I would have expected out of a kid's cartoon. Because like I'm familiar with a lot of that philosophy, I spent a lot of time studying it, and I was surprised to see it depicted so well in cartoon version. So like those are probably the three things that stood out the most to me. I would definitely say it lived up to the hype. Um, you know, I was talking to another friend about it, and I mentioned like I was just like, man, this is really good. And they're like, yeah, there's like a reason why it's like the most beloved cartoon animation of like all time. <laughs> well, know? at least on Nickelodeon. And, you know, at least, well, yeah, I guess we have to, yeah, you gotta clarify that. Um, I mean, uh, for me, I loved Zuko's story. His character arc was probably one of the best character arcs I've ever seen um, from start to finish. Um, I loved Uncle Iroh. He was probably my favorite character. Um, you know, he was a really, really solid example of the sage figure. Um, and what I liked about Uncle Iroh, because I, I love the sage archetype. I've always been drawn to the archetype of the sage. So figures like Gandalf and Rafiki from The Lion King, you know, or Grandma Tala from Moana, um, those characters I've always been strongly attracted to and drawn towards but what I liked about Avatar was that they took a character like that and they did a really good job humanizing them um, in a way that sage figures aren't always um, because oftentimes sage figures are represented as like these supremely wise people who have sort of in some sense transcended their humanity and sometimes they literally aren't human, like they're wizards or angels, you know, or like demigods or something. Um, but in this case, they made Uncle Iroh just kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, just an ordinary man who had suffered terribly and through his suffering gained wisdom um, and turned it into something better, transmuted his suffering into something higher. Um, and I love that. Like, it was a very touching and very human way in which you might understand how a person could develop wisdom in their life. And Uncle Iowa was just a wonderful example of that. It, I, was, I really treasured that, his story arc, for that reason. That's right. Those are my uh, thoughts on, on Avatar. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it the way you did and met your expectations. Yeah, um, I loved the way in which they very creatively found uh, or the gave Aang um, to defeat the Fire Lord without uh, having to kill him. I thought that was wonderful that he was still able to, uh, um, you know, fulfill the injunction not to commit violence, you know, from his monk friends. Um, <laughs> So I don't. I thought that was very clever the way they did that. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it was a really great show. It definitely lived up to the hype. The character development was wonderful. Um, I think probably my favorite scene though in the entire show was actually the Agni Kai between Azula and Zuko at the end. Yeah. Um, that was such a tragic scene, and. 
after Katara defeats her and like chains her, the way that her character screams and cries and like ra- like na- like flails about, the voice acting in that scene was amazing. Yeah. Like it blew me away. You know, and it was just so astonishing to see someone like descend into madness in a way that was so compelling. Yeah, I agree. So, I sh- gosh, man, that was a great show. I loved it. Yeah. Um, this is a, l- a little bit of a, a change in, in topic, but it's it's related because we're talking about TV shows or just entertainment, I guess. Um, I think you had mentioned in an email that you got around to, I think it was this video essay I sent you about the Book of Eli. Yeah, I got around. Or you've gotten around to watching it or something? Yeah. I was wondering if you thought that was interesting at all or if it resonated for you in any way. Um, yeah, I, I found it interesting. And I appreciate the perspective they had regarding how it's portrayal of religion and how personal and how beyond when you go beyond the institution, when the institution itself is kind of irrelevant in the way religion can play on people's personal lives and especially in such a dire apocalyptic environment and what it reveals about their psyche I just find that sort of idea pretty fascinating in a sense mm-hmm. admittedly I did try to yeah but I didn't get a lot of those hidden layers that they picked up on yeah definitely yeah, it's, it's an interesting movie. It, I've actually only ever seen the movie once, and it was about, like, probably, like, eight or nine years ago. It was a long time ago. But I don't know why. I think it was a video that came up in my YouTube feed about it that kind of led me down a rabbit hole when I started re-watching old scenes from the movie. And I don't know. It just struck me in a way that it hadn't struck me the very first time I saw the movie. But the first time I saw it, I don't think I really, like... The message of the film really sunk in very deep for me, um, but there were definitely a lot of interesting themes in that film about religious faith and you know its relationship to dogma and institutions, which are built around religious faith as kinds of like vessels for carrying the faith, but that the faith itself, you know, is more like the water in the vessel, you know, as an analogy, and that when the vessel becomes uh, um, decadent you know, or falls apart, then the water escapes and travels elsewhere, you know? And that's kind of like the, the, you know, Reformation, it, you know, or the Reformation is like an example of something like that, you know, where a tradition disintegrates and then, you know, the spirit travels again to something new. And I don't know, I think that's kind of, that's just a, a theme that's been on my mind lately. And so I thought it was interesting. Yeah, agreed. Also, by the way, I forgot to ask. I mentioned this in an email, but I'll mention it here. Did you ever get around to watching Steven Universe feature? Yes and no. I am not done yet. I watched the first episode, but now I'm on. <laughs> it's like two parts. <laughs> and so I was going to watch both parts before we talked tonight. But I was Zooming with some people 
and it ended up going way longer than I thought it would. And so then I only had a few minutes to watch. And so I finished the first episode, but not the second. So far, I like it. Um, but the last thing that happened was, um, you know, the they had the whole park at Beach City um, that Steven tried to get everybody to do their, like, roles, but he tried to control their roles. And then when he did, like, everything fell apart. Um, you know, rather than just letting people choose the roles they wanted, like, with the gems. Um, and, you know, then he realized the error of his ways. He ended up fusing with Amethyst, and he's kind of been discovering new powers. Um, and that's kind of the last place that I, that I left off. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like once I'm done watching it, I'm going to have to go back and, like, Wikipedia the plot again because I was struggling to remember some of the things that had happened from the very last time I'd watched Steven Universe like the last episode prior to Steven Universe feature um, so I need to go back and remind myself of like the plot order because there were things that they were referencing where I was like wait what happened with that <laughs> it's been too long yeah that's fair but I enjoyed it so once we're done talking, I'll probably actually finish watching that before I head to bed. Right here. Um, but yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this or not. This is just kind of an interesting uh, personal update. Um, I can't remember exactly when I started this. Probably within the last like month or two. Um, I started joining like an online reading group via Zoom. Um um with this group of people who are really interested in kind of like religious and spiritual stuff um i ended up connecting with this group through a discord server dedicated to john verbeke's uh awakening from the meaning crisis um like lecture series which i've referenced before um and so I connected with this one guy who had a conversation with John Rubiki on his YouTube channel over Facebook, and he invited me to the Discord server. And uh, so now, for the last like month or so, I've been reading um, this book by Henry Corbon, who was uh, an expert in Islamic studies, but also a French philosopher as well. Um, and so it's like his exposition of this figure in the Sufi Islamic mystical tradition um, called Ibn al-Arabi and so we're reading a book basically that is like this exposition of uh, Islamic Sufi philosophy basically Um, and we've been doing it kind of like online like we do a weekly Zoom meeting on Sundays Um, and you know, I'm not going to go into all the stuff we talk about because it's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. But I've just really been uh, enjoying the opportunity to, like, uh, for one, to learn about Islam because I know very very little. Um, probably of all the major religious traditions, is the one I'm most ignorant of. Um, and then also to like, you know, get such a very deep perspective on it in conversation with other people. And the other people in the Zoom group are are like have a lot more expertise in this kind of stuff than I do um, you know several of them are like scholars of Islamic studies and one of them you know is a religious studies like 
PhD person. And so like, you know, all these people are like really insightful and it's really, it's really neat to have the opportunity. Um, I've started to take advantage during the pandemic of uh, more internet based communities. And that's, you know, I feel like I finally found like a niche on the internet that really fits me as far as community is concerned. So I don't know, I think that's kind of neat. That's really good. I'm happy for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing you don't really stay in close contact with uh, your, your cohort at this point? Not too much. I mean, I don't know. I feel like my particular cohort, I feel like none of us were ever super very close. Like, we're ever very close. Like, we all like each other, but it's just like we're not like close. I feel like we didn't really bond very much during our first semester. So I mean, I've talked to some people from my cohort. I've mainly been talking with my advisor and with two other students in my program who I'm working on a paper with. You know, so I've been in regular contact with those individuals um, for work stuff, but like pretty infrequent contact with like the members of my grad school cohort really just like once every couple weeks and only a couple of of them Um, I mean I have some contact also because I'm doing online classes with some of them like I'm in the same online classes with some of them Um, so there's a little bit there but that's usually not very much because it's mostly just lectures you know that we're listening to um, so I don't know, I'm hoping to get a little bit closer to at least a couple of people in my cohort whom I like, um, once we return again, but, you know, hard to say how that will all pan out. All right. Um, so I'm not sure would you, how to ask this, but obviously I feel I should just, mm-hmm. So obviously, uh, the other week you mentioned that you were having a really rough time. Is that something you mm-hmm. want? Mm-hmm. Is that something you want to go into, or do you just prefer to leave it alone? I mean, I'm fine to talk about it briefly. Um, you know, it's mainly just um, you know, like PTSD stuff. Um, for the most part, well, so this last Sunday was Father's Day. Um, which ended up being extraordinarily triggering for me. Um, Which is when we were supposed to talk. Um, And so that was kind of just a nightmare of a day, um, like the whole day, um, for all sorts of reasons. That It would take kind of a while to go into, but um, so it was mainly that. Plus I've been behind on school stuff because I found it very hard to concentrate and like get work done, um, you know? And so I, I, I'm planning on going back to Auburn at the end of July um, and I'll be able to go into the office while I'm there, as long as I'm, you know, wearing a mask. Um, and I'm hoping that once I'm back, being able to go into the office regularly will help me to like increase my productivity. So, you know, my goal is to basically do that, you know, is to try and like, you know, get by until then. And then hopefully that will help. Um, 
you know, and to the degree that it doesn't help, then to figure out, you know, a better solution for it, um, you know, or more effective strategies for, for getting work done that needs to get done when it needs to be done. Um, so, you know, it was also stress, too, because I was behind on a lot of things, um, in addition to, like, just being, having kind of a miserable day, you know, and then it kind of continued throughout the week a little bit this week. Um, and honestly, it really didn't start to clear up until this weekend. Um, so, you know, I worked yesterday um, for most of the day and I caught up on a lot of things, which was good. Um, and my mood was better just because I had some distance. Um, so I've been in a great mood today, um, you know, and it's been great um, just to like, you know, kind of relax and, you know, unwind a little bit um this earlier this morning i watched a movie with a friend of mine over zoom you know and then after that you know i had lunch with the family and then you know i had my zoom reading group right before um i ended up calling you so you know it's been that's been great so you know i think one of the things i'm learning um about dealing with all of this stuff is that it's kind of just a day-by-day sort of thing. Some days are really great. Some weeks even are really great. Um, others are not. And it's learning just how to navigate the, the sea, so to speak, the, the rough waters. Um, I did want to mention we're at an hour and 19 minutes or 119 minutes. So I think we are going to get caught off in about 50 seconds. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'm happy to continue talking um, over the phone once it cuts us off. Um, but I do want to end our conversation by 10, if that's okay with you. Uh, sure. So, we have a little less than 30 seconds. Do we have one? Any, any closing thoughts before uh, our podcast is cut off? I'm <laughs> oh, off my head. <laughs> Alrighty, well, that sounds like a plan, and uh, I guess you can just call me once it cuts off. Sure. Glad we thought of this ahead of time. Sounds great. Yeah. (laughs)